everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Rumcast, special Thanksgiving week edition of the Rumcast. I'm Will Hookinga, and as always, I'm joined here with my co-host, John Gullah. We are the podcast where we talk all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. We've got a great interview coming up with Joshua Singh from 1423 Spirits, and you'll probably know him from SBS Rum, uh, a pretty notable independent bottler of rum over there in Europe, based out of Denmark. Bounced around a lot of really interesting topics. We also somewhat seasonally talked about rum advent calendars as well, which uh, Joshua's company produces. So a lot of different fun topics. But before we get into that, John, how are you holding up over there? I know you've been under the weather lately, which is never fun when it's a holiday weekend. I know we're we're, yeah. we're both dealing with that in our families right now. You were dealing with it with yourself, but uh, how, how are you hanging in over there? I'm doing okay. I feel a bit better. I uh, had a rough uh, last few days, uh, unfortunately, after a, a fantastic trip to uh, New York City. Came down with the covid after uh, for three the first, years. Yes, I managed to dodge it for that long, but it finally came for me. So, uh, well, I, I know you're you're not feeling great yet, but you are better. From I think you had kind of just started feeling it really, actually, while we were recording the yeah. interview. But you, yeah. you you soldiered through it and uh, and and delivered. So I do know while you were in New York, you got the chance to see some rum people. Also, I think you I think you caught up with uh, some more characters of the Rumcast universe <laughs> when you were uh, at at a at a, a launch party in a, a bar in Miami recently. So they, yeah, how, how was all that? Well, despite being sick from it, I had a fantastic couple of weeks with rum and I had some uh, wonderful events, like you were saying. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I saw Eric Kay from Holmes Key down here at Asarico, Miami, mm-hmm. where uh, he was introducing his new heritage blend. And uh, it's a fantastic place. If you haven't been there, by the way, and you're ever in Miami, you really should check out Asarico. Their rum selection is awesome. There's a new speaky tiki, uh, he calls it, which is like a, a speakeasy tiki bar oh. room that he's just now opening there. And they've got tons of the Holmes Key Fiji rum, by the way. So I know, uh, you know, people are looking for that there and they have a lot of it and are using it in a lot of their drinks. So nice. um, that was really nice. The Heritage brand obviously is also great for a daiquiri and they're using that in a lot of their drinks too. So that's what it was designed for, right? Right, right, exactly. They did like five drinks that night and I would be hard pressed to remember them all now, but they were really fantastic, as is usually the case. I've been to a few rum dinners yeah. there that Asadico does and uh, they're, they're really always fantastic. The food is great. The environment is awesome there, the way he set everything up. So it's just a, it's a fantastic rum place. One of the premier rum places, I think, in the United States and certainly in Miami. I think your fantastic counter for the episode is up to like five, by the way. It, it, <laughs> I want to make sure people know it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, um, <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. soldiering through here still, Will. Cut me some <laughs> Sorry, slack. I shouldn't, shouldn't uh, be giving you a hard time today. Yeah, but yeah no, that's cool. I, I, I think the, the first time I heard about that blend that daiquiri blend was like over a year ago from eric so it's it's cool to see it finally getting out there and i'm looking forward to hopefully getting to try that at some point i'm sure it'll make its way up here to uh to nashville at yeah some point. It, we don't always a, get all the cool events right away you know like, <laughs> like it'll get Miami to you does, yeah but yeah it'll get to you eventually it's a really yeah. nice blend though not to talk too much about it i'm sure a lot of people have heard but it it's including elements of all the different uh rum 
heritages, uh, legacies, if you will, the Spanish type of tradition, the French and the British. And I know those are, uh, we've talked many a times about how those can be a poor descriptor, but it's also, you know, useful in some sense to talk about it. But um, yeah, so it's it's really nice. I also got to catch up with Mora, uh, his wife and home's key partner Mm -hmm. uh, in New York at a place called the Brandy Library. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we met there. Uh, Kim Michael I would also. people go to the Brandy Library? <laughs> so Kim Michael is a resident of New York, and I know more and Eric live outside of New York, and they were recommending this place as one of the premier rum places. And I, I think your question is apropos, Will, because <laughs> when I got there, I started ducking into a few stores there, and I think I told you this by text. I was kind of disappointed for Manhattan, like such a huge city, the rum selection I think there. you were expecting a, a, a rum mecca of sorts, right? Uh, well, just like i don't know something different and good yeah like you know miami's decent and i was thinking well maybe new york will be different it's in a different location in the country and different things you know how the distributors work here and so i was expecting different things well every store i went into and i went into like five just to see on the corner of you know wherever and Mm -hmm. and wherever there's diplomatico Ronza Kappa, Bacardi, mm. and Captain Morgan. Seriously, mm. that was like the rum selection. So I was telling Eric, Mora, and, and Kim, all those people who live there, like, hey, what happened? Like, you guys, you know, let's get on it. And they were both telling me that, you know, yeah, it's kind of sucky in Manhattan. They, they wish it was better. And there are places in New York, right. especially in the boroughs, like uh, Sunken Harbor, Tiki. Uh, I've and, been there, and, actually. Oh, have you? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. So I, we considered Out in, uh, in Red there. Hook, in Red Hook, in, Brick- in Brooklyn. Nice. Yeah. So you you know a lot more more about it than I did because I didn't make it there. And I know there are other places out there, so I'm not saying they don't exist. But within Manhattan, there's only a few. Jungle Bird, I think, is one that was mentioned. And then this the Brandy Library, where we ended up going, which has a ton of different whiskey selections. I mean, they're huge, huge mm-hmm. whiskey le- selection. And the rum selection As was you would pretty decent. At the Brandy Library, right? Right, right. And Brandy, <laughs> yeah. But the rum selection was decent. They had a few four squares. I tried two Impex... 13 and 15 year old oh, the uh, long ponds ha- long ponds yes yeah uh-huh. i almost said hamden but no it was the long ponds um i, I like both of those a lot i have the 13 year very i like good. the 13 year better i uh, like yeah. it that's yeah. the one i ended up buying but i i tried them both initially and then i haven't been back to the 15 years since then so i feel like i can't give a firm impression on it but i i really like the 13 year a lot they were both very good anyhow uh you know having covid sucks but the rest of these uh this last month's been pretty awesome what yeah. about you over there what's going on in in your neck of the woods well, I'm attempting to extend my streak of not having COVID uh, as well oh, a little just bit. Be, a little throw bit it a little up. more in my face. Yeah, well, sure. Well, no, I'm. <laughs> I, I'm. Uh, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I, I'm dodging it at my own house at this point because <laughs> gotcha. my wife Samantha came down with it. She's she's fine. Uh, her symptoms have not been severe, but it you know threw a little wrench into some of our Thanksgiving plans. Mm. We were going to yeah. have some family over. They they will not be joining us now. <laughs> it's it's just going to yeah. be us solo. And so we decided Same to here. kind of like do some. It's it's going to be a non traditional Thanksgiving. Why not you know try out some stuff we haven't done before? So okay. you I know, like where this is going. In, okay. Instead of a and and this is something I've been doing for a few years now. I haven't made a turkey in a few years. I've done chicken a few times. Um, this year I just bought this gigantic three pound ribeye, and uh, we're nice. going to have that and split it between the two of us. And then also, uh, we're going to try a new stuffing recipe. Um, I'm going to have room for that. <laughs> yeah, we will. 
I grew up in a household where it was called dressing. Uh, Samantha grew up in a stuffing household. So, you know, ha- whatever term you use, I, huh. my, I think they can be the same thing with some regional differences and, and things like that. But I'd always heard about stuffing with sausage in it, and I'd never had Ooh. that growing up. And no. so we are doing a sage and sausage stuffing as well. Um, um, just go along with all the this. S's. Yeah. Yeah, all the S's um, mm-hmm. to go along with, with, you know, some other stuff. But I was thinking I need to add some sort of non-traditional for me rum thing to do with thanksgiving like what's something i could do with rum that i wouldn't normally do or i would be less inclined to do normally you know so i've got a few ideas and i'm hoping you can give me some input and some guidance but okay the the first one this is something i've i've done before but i don't do regularly which is the ridiculously extravagant cocktail so mm. using a rum that i would normally never use in a cocktail and making one with it so i've got it's a, a special ideas. occasion yeah yeah may- maybe like a, a nissan single barrel old fashioned maybe Ooh. a velier tiger shark manhattan something like that so oh. that's that's one possibility uh, the second one is i'm calling it the over the top blend so doing a a blend at home with some of my you know higher priced more precious rums i've got a few Port Morants right now. I've got some Foursquare Sovereignty still. Uh, you know, I've, I've got that 13-year Long Pond I mentioned. I've okay. got some Great House. I've got some of that 20-year Foursquare Pot Still rum. So maybe I should just get wild with it and do, you know, like a, a five, six, seven rum blend uh, using some of those classic rums that you think about in blends, like like a Port Morant or, uh, you know, like a Barbados rum, like some like some Long Pond, some, some funky Jamaica in there. Maybe I should get a little blending lab going and doing that. And then the the final idea is I, I have some leftovers from a rum advent calendar my mother in law sent me last year, which right. sadly was we actually talk about this in the interview with with Joshua. Uh, sadly, it was like half filled with either spiced or heavily sweet rums. And yeah. I still have just the little <laughs> the little sample containers in a cabinet, and you know I, I've got to do something with them. So I'm making like a, an apple crisp dessert. You know, it's like the crumbly apple topping, or not the apple topping the, the filling is apple okay uh, there's that crumbly topping there's like yeah, a caramel yeah. sauce i'm gonna put some vanilla ice cream on top so i feel like maybe if i took one of those you know sweetened rums that would wouldn't work drinking it on its own and kind of right. you know drizzled some over that as well maybe that might play nice and you yeah. know i wouldn't just have that sitting in my cabinet anymore so what do you think between those three ideas uh, and, and i know these might not be that maybe other people do this stuff all the time but i'm just saying for me this would be a non-traditional move to do any of those three things so so what's hitting you what 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 direction should i take this in well all three are really good ideas and and i could see how all of them have their merit i would immediately kind of drop the the second one for now as, as the, as blend the least, one? yeah I, I don't know was, why that was most interesting to me. Well, so, so it does have a lot of interest, but here's my comeback for that. It's that it also has the most room for error and the and, most work as well. Yeah. And so if you're trying to make a special occasion, you don't want it to kind of fall flat, maybe even through no fault of your own and just trying different things. I feel like you're going to have more success with either option one or three or both, because I think you could actually get away with doing both if you wanted to. Oh, definitely. Yeah, um, I, could. I could do all three of these, actually. Yeah, um, maybe yeah. I will. Maybe I'll do all three and then I'll report back. And you know what? Even if the blend sucks, I'll learn something from it. <laughs> oh, of <laughs> Take course. It away yeah. Or can, hey, there's can... multiple holidays coming up. So that's true. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, this could, this could be blend one by by you know New Year's. I could be on blend three if I do this uh, on Christmas and New Year's too. So anyway, yeah. I hope everyone out there is is uh is having a good holiday weekend. 
and yeah, being able to enjoy some good rum. But I think now we can go ahead and, and go over to the interview with Joshua Singh. Like I said, uh, we talk a little bit about his 24 Days of Rum rum box, which is basically like an advent calendar, just because I think that was kind of like you had the idea originally. You were like, mm-hmm. it would be fun to talk to someone who does one of those. And then, you know, we knew Joshua also does SBS, which, as I said, is a really interesting independent bottler in mm-hmm. Europe. And they're doing some really interesting things with uh, with wood right now. We get into some of that, some of the stuff they're doing with New American Oak, uh, which which is unexpected, but I think is, is really intriguing. Yeah. And also talked about like some emerging rum areas they, they're, they're getting some rum from ghana that's really interesting um some stuff from india as well that we talk about at, at the end of the podcast but yeah so let's uh let's just go ahead and get right over to the interview are here with joshua singh of 1423 many of you will also know him probably from sbs rums we're gonna talk about all that stuff but one of the first things i wanted to ask you about because over here in the u.s right now uh we're recording this it's the weekend before thanksgiving which is kind of like the official real start of the holiday season yeah i think over here <laughs> of course i feel like for maybe a month now or maybe more we've already seen christmas decorations you know, people keep moving it up, up every year yeah, yeah i know it's like day after um, halloween now i know yeah but but thanksgiving tends to be like the traditional time where people really start going all in and so i know you one thing that that you guys do over there that that peaked john was the first one to bring up this idea but we've talked about rum advent calendars on the show before and i, I actually don't even know if y'all refer to yours as an advent calendar i know it's a box of rum 24 days of rum (laughs) Mm -hmm. but with the holiday spirit starting to be in the air over here i'm just kind of imagining you over there it's like a santa's workshop environment like everyone's merrily going about (laughs) packing up all the little boxes and all the rums possibly singing and stuff like that so i wanted to just take the temperature on like what's the environment like over there are you guys really busy with that stuff right now i'm imagining this is kind of peak season for that product well, I'd, I'd say basically what you were just describing is exactly what's happening outside. <laughs> That's great. Um, I just left my fiance with my brother, his wife, and their kids right down the street uh-huh. where City Hall is. So there's a big square out in front. And just when we went online here to chat, they were lighting up the Christmas tree and all the lights throughout the city. There we so go. So St. Carol's, Santa Claus was there handing out candy bags to the kids, all of that. So there's no rum samples. a Christmas ride <laughs> going on here right now. And I'd say this, the same the same for, for my business and my office because, yes, our 24 days of rum is out there on the shelves around around Europe and parts of Asia and uh, selling rapidly right now. Here right now. It's the peak season for it. I actually got one. My wife was nice enough to have one shipped all the way from over there last year, and I got one and enjoyed it. Uh, so it, it can be shipped to the U.S. It uh, can. Do, it yeah. can. There, there are a couple of good wedge shops um, in Europe that uh, does shipping to the U.S. And I think they do about half of the states. 
but it's it is a little bit more expensive, of course, and uh-huh. it's not yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I guess I wanted to start by asking about the twenty four days of rum. When did that idea come together for you? And now that I know you've been doing it at least a few years, has it yeah. developed over time as you've done it? It has, it has. I think we started about nine years ago, and the basically the idea actually came from some of the local shops around Denmark, some of the local wine and spirit shops, they were doing their own advent calendars. Mm. And their basics was just, you know, grab 24 bottles of the shell and then divide them up. That yeah. was it. And it was it was successful for them, but it was a lot of hassle for them. So any, every time our team was out there, they were always complaining about it. So basically, we, we thought about it and said, well, why don't we try and actually do it for them and make the production more professional, make it, try and make it easier, and then make something that all of the shops can have instead of just one or two of them. And that's how the idea started. And we started out with making close to 3,000 just for the Danish market. And I remember very vividly how it was produced because it was about 72,000 miniatures. Oh, my wow. God. <laughs> they were... Oh, wow. Hand bottled by me wow. and my three business partners. <laughs> uh, they were hand labeled, hand uh, hand closed. They were the screw caps on those bottles were terrible because they had to be on tight. You had to use your hands, and we all oh. had blisters everywhere. Yeah, seventy two thousand. Yes. Oh my god! I, like how how long did that take? It took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> He's and wiped we, it from his memory at this point. He's yeah, like, yeah. don't make me go back there. <laughs> Friends, friends and family pitched pitched in here and there. I, I remember delivering boxes and boxes of bottles to my parents. And when they were sitting home in the evenings watching TV or whatever they were doing, <laughs> they were putting labels on all the bottles. That's, I love that. They That's so cute did. to imagine. I think they put labels on five or six thousand of them. <laughs> and to this day, they've never stopped doing it, right? <laughs> exactly. And so it, it was quite a hassle, but it, it ended in... In a lot of fun, I'd say, as well. In the end, when we had to pack all the calendars, we invited family, friends, and we were like 30 people. We spent, I think, 12 hours packing them. And then we ended everything with a, with a big party, uh, had a great dinner, and lots of rum, of course. Yeah, and that's what you do. You just As long as you provide some, some food, some, some rum go. for people, that, that makes up for the, uh, the effort. Awesome we, to, get, we, uh, to get the family and the community in, involved yeah. in, in getting rum out there to people. We, we've done it like that. In, in the first few years, we, we did a lot of it with help from friends and family. And yeah, they were always kind to help. They always thought it was fun what we were doing. Um, so everybody was happy to to pitch in, especially when there was a rum at the end. That's right. Exactly. It's uh, Huga at its finest, right? I'm talking exactly. about something I, I don't know much about, but I know, Will, do you know about Huga? The, the, the Danish? Um, yeah, the Danish. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm familiar like with the term. Yeah. I probably don't know how to explain it, though. It is difficult to explain. It's called Huga. I was close. <laughs> you were close. You were close. And it is, it is, yeah, it's, it's a state of mind and a state of atmosphere where everything is cozy, nice. Yeah, cozy it, is the word I think I hear a lot. Yeah, it's probably the word that comes closest to it. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a little bit difficult to explain because there is no direct translation of it. It's something you really just got to be in it and experience. It's like, it's like explaining terroir, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
So Joshua, with the with the advent calendar, who who curates the rums? I know you have a small team there. Uh, yep. Do you do that on your own? Do you make decisions together like that? And do producers reach out to you for inclusion now? Or is it the sort of thing that you're like, here's what I want to include this year and you go contact them? How does that work? Well, it's it's been it's been a little different uh, throughout the years. I remember the first year, all the rum that we put inside were were rum brands that we were distrib- distributing here in in Denmark already, and it was the same in the second year. And then from there, it started it started growing. And mm-hmm. for the for the past three years, I think three or four years, the job basically falls on me. And it's it's a mix of things. We have some brand owners, I would call them. Mm-hmm. owners that own several distilleries in the Caribbean that have been supporting it for years, that have been part of the box for maybe three, four years now. So they always get contacted and get the offer if they have something new they want to put in. Also, well, you, you probably see me on, well, you've seen me on social media. I travel quite a lot. Yeah, uh, attend yeah. a lot of rum festivals, uh, visit quite a few distilleries. So it's also, you know, getting inspiration when I'm out there traveling. Mm. Maybe I stumble upon a new release or something from a new distillery, things like that. It's also watching the different rum forums on Facebook, actually, because every now and then, you know, a new bottle pops up that you haven't seen before. Yeah. yeah. And you investigate a little bit. Um, and a lot of Google. It's <laughs> You know, to freak you out and say there's something new out there. What's, and what's, there the, what's the search query that you, are you just getting in there? Like, <laughs> best new rums. Like, new <laughs> rums. <laughs> Well, I probably searched for that as well. But uh-huh. when you do that, what you just get is a lot of those top ten lists, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we've all yeah. seen, and we know all the brands that are exactly. on the um, It's like that hot but, new rum brand, Foursquare. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Foursquares everywhere. Diplomatico brands like that—they yeah. always pop up. And we also have uh, there are also quite a few producers that contact me directly uh, that wants to be a part of it. Yeah, then basically I have a look at the quality of what's inside. If I think it it fits, we got to remember that the people who buy the 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 the, the boxes not it's not heavily rum geeks and rum connoisseurs. Right. Mm. It is your average rum drinker, I'd call mm-hmm. it, or new rum drinker who buys it. So if I fill it up with white rum, unaged rum, which I <laughs> am a big drinker of myself. I'm going to scare all of them there's a whole. Well, there's a whole week of unaged high ester rums, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we're going to lose all of our clients, I think. Yeah. And I remember we put in rum bar overtools a few years ago, which <laughs> oh is boy. one of my own favorites. Yeah. yeah. And I think like 5% of the comments we got were, this is amazing. Yeah. This is <laughs> Get us more of that. But 95% were like, <laughs> they went straight to the sink or to the toilet to pour it out. <laughs> so. yeah. uh, a friend and I here in Nashville, Andrew Hinton, we just did a, a small rum presentation at a whiskey festival that was done here that a local store put on. And we you know, did a tasting as part of it. And we included rum file. Most of the stuff was pretty approachable. We wanted some stuff that was you know, a little more advanced, shall we say. And yep. rum fire was one of them. And I, I kind of felt bad. There, there was one person attending who was like actually like kind of mad at us about <laughs> including that in there. So yeah, it's uh, we always it, have to kind of adjust our right. rum enthusiast perspective. You know, yes. like dial it back a little bit and try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's newer to it. Yeah, it, it's true. But I, I've actually found that education helps quite a bit. 
I I tend to bring the rum bar with me when I do uh, if I do like a mixed tasting as well. And I always end with it. And they're always told you can't drink it or taste it or smell it. You need to wait five minutes and listen to what I have to say first. That's and a good. Then move. I try to explain them, you know, how it's made. I try to explain them a little bit about Jamaican culture and what's the background on it. How mm-hmm. how right. do they drink it? All of that. And when you do that, I actually get quite surprised because it goes from like an average of maybe five ten percent who actually enjoy it. And you can actually bring that number up quite a bit if they if they have a basic understanding about what they're drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you do get data and feedback from people like via comments and social media. Essentially, is the idea. Well, for for the calendar, they they are different ways, of course. Yeah. And everything today is built around the website twenty four days of rum dot com, and so that goes online every first of December. And basically, what you have in there is like an interactive calendar. Mm-hmm. So on the 1st of December, you will see a calendar in there, but you can only press door number one. On uh, 2nd December, you can press one and two. On 3rd, you can press one, two, and three, and so on. Then when you press the door, then a new page will open up, and you will see a, a picture of the actual bottle, you know, how it looks, standard oh, cool. size. Yeah, right, size. Right. You'll get, like, the technical details about the bottles, the ABV, where does it come from, all of that. You'll have links to the producers, uh, website, social media. Then you have a description and some pictures from the producer actually talking about or telling you about what it is that you're about to drink. And most brands will also provide me with a video that I put up where the brand owner or the master distiller or the blender will actually talk about what you're about to drink. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. Then in the end, then the consumer can also rate it so they can give the rum one to five stars and they can add comments in there or ask questions. Then we also have people online ready to to answer throughout mm-hmm. December. So if somebody's, you know, I, I don't know where to find the bottle where I live, or could you tell me a little bit more about how it's produced or where it's produced, all of that. So you're getting a lot of feedback, a, it sounds like. Yeah. We are getting quite a, quite a lot of feedback. Yeah. And you always have, you know, critique every year, people who love it and send us emails, how happy they are, and they've been following it for years. And, of course, also the ones that are completely opposite right right hated the edition this year and yeah. how could you put all of that the shitty rock man man now yeah well the idea is not for you to 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 like everything is basically always what we tell them we tell them this is sort of a rum school and if you like half of it then i'm actually happy mm. uh, because what we're trying to do is essentially bring in more rum drinkers through tasting we want them to right. try it and hopefully find some style or a country or something specific that they fall in love with. That's right. the idea. Yeah, you have to create a pathway, right? It's sort of the idea is finding yeah. that pathway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we wanted everybody to love it, then I would fill it up with Diplomatico, uh, Sakapa, <laughs> all of that. And just put 24 like that in it. And I know people would love it. But that's not what we want to do. Yeah. One, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I, I have not had your rum calendar, but the past two years by my mother-in-law has sent me one. I honestly don't even remember what brand it is. I think it's from, I think it might be from Europe as well, but I, I, there was the first year I got it, you know, there was a presence of some spiced drums and some heavily sweetened drums and stuff like that. And I kind of recognize as like, okay, like I get the inclusion of this stuff. A lot of these are popular brands. Like this does create a pathway, like you were saying for a lot of people to like help them wrap up to stuff that 
you mm-hmm. know, has no additives and things like that. And then the second year I got it, it was it was like literally I think half the days in it were spiced rums. And I started to get sad about that because there's there's also this balance you have to strike as well where, I mean, I, I feel like rum enthusiasts are always trying to educate people that rum is more than just spiced rum. Like rum is not just Captain Morgan. Actually, you know, Captain Morgan is spiced rum and it's, you know, not even... 80 proof, uh, you know, it's not in the same category as rum, even though it's in the same shelf in the liquor mm-hmm. store. And so I struggle with how do you balance, you know, when to give people stuff that maybe enthusiasts don't really look at. I don't want to yeah. say like, you know, the, the real, not real rum dichotomy, but, you know, spiced rum really is a separate distinctive thing. So how do you that balance how much of that to put in? And how do you look at that? Well, if, if we take out the question of sugar and mm-hmm. say sugar doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And only look at spices or flavors. Yeah. Or an extra additive above sugar, then you won't find much of it in my calendar. Mm. I think this year there's one in there. That's it. Okay. And in the past, I think the maximum have probably been two. Gotcha. And, uh, mm-hmm. Because the the idea is to focus on rum. Right. And we I know we'll we'll talk about the sugar issue later. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is it is a rum calendar. So I do introduce something a little bit different every now and then like we've had a cachache in there before oh cool yeah mm-hmm. and i will have that in there in the future as well because mm-hmm. i find it interesting yeah and for me it's still it's still a part of the broader rum category sugar cane uh, spirits yeah exactly so i will put it in there just because i think it's good for educational purposes as well and there is also some amazing liquid coming from there which mm-hmm. is which is a good thing on top but when it comes to spices i do think it's different but I think we need to remember as well how the average rum drinker looks at rum. Mm-hmm. Because if, if I go into a local shop here in the city and I ask for a rum, then the guy behind the stand, he will, he will show me the rum shelves. Yeah. And there will be Foursquare. There will be Worthy Park. But mm-hmm. right next to it will be Diplomatico. There will yeah. be St. Jerry. There will be Kraken. There will be everything else. Mm-hmm. And they will still call it rum. Because in most people's minds, that is still rum. So we have we have a big job of educating in general. And that is for everybody in the rum industry. Because mm-hmm. the more we can educate, the more we can grow the category. And that's to the benefit of us all. I think it's a shame that sometimes we see people fighting a little bit too much. Mm. Here, here. Especially yeah. on social media or festivals where why don't we spend the time educating people going on the road instead and helping people to understand what rum is. And what is pure rum, what is spice rum, and what is the difference? Yeah. And actually, if we spend our time doing that, I think the category will grow a lot faster, and we will have a better category in the end. Well, and yeah, you, you brought up sugar there, and that was something else I wanted to talk to you about. You know, you've talked about some of the rums you sell, and like there are a lot of different brands you're associated with and, and in various ways, but I know some of them have added sugar to them. One thing I thought was interesting is in, in another interview, I think it was right around the time that legislation in the EU came out that kind of capped yep. the amount of sugar that could be added to rum at, uh, was it 20? 20, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. 20 grams per liter. But you said you wished that even though you have rums with added sugar, you wish that it had been set to zero as the allowed amount and then just have a sweetened rum kind of separate category. So I yeah. wanted to ask, I think that's really interesting. Why do you think that would be beneficial? And and how do you go about communicating when there's added sugar in your rums? Like, yeah. um, are you putting stuff on the labels? Is it through, you know, communicating? Is it on the website? How, like, how, how do you approach all that? Well, I, I think it, it is, it's a difficult, um, it's difficult question or a difficult situation, the thing with sugar and rum. 
Yeah. It's been around for many, many years, and some people expect it, depending on what, what island, what culture, what traditions they're from. But the thing is that the rules we had before also had specifications for sugar. And though there was you no know, cap, there was a description on how you could actually add the sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was a description saying it is there to round off the taste. It can't uh-huh. change the flavor. Mm. So actually there were always something there where a lot of people said, oh, it's just 100 grams per liter because other than that, then it'll be a liqueur. And that's not how it was supposed to be read. But a lot of people read it like that. Mm. Basically, I had a lot of conversations with the European Union and with our local representatives when they mm. when they did this on how was it done? Uh, how are people notified? Because nobody in Denmark knew about it at all oh, before the legislation had been passed. So nobody got a chance to actually speak up of the, at least of the smaller producers. Uh-huh. I'm sure I saw a list of who received the actual communication and all the big guys were there. Uh, of course. Mm, Yachio, right. Penrica, all of those guys were there, of course. All the smaller ones, they were left out. Uh-huh. Yeah. And for me, it's just, they said that this was for consumer safety. That, okay. That the consumer were supposed to know more about what they were drinking. That was the object of it. So kind of health, essentially, is the well, argument? Well, not health, but um, it was there to protect the consumer so they knew what they were drinking. Okay. Right? So they don't, the feel, they don't feel don't tricked know, or something like that. You don't have any consumers out there that knows that it is allowed to put sugar in rum. Or knows that it's illegal to put sugar in mm-hmm. rum. Yeah. And the question is basically, what is the difference between 19 grams or 21 grams? Yeah. Do you know Two how grams. they arrived at the 20 number? I have no idea how they arrived at it. No. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea how they arrived at it. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, yeah from, from my own personal opinion and from the opinion of my company and business partners as well, we would have preferred that it said zero. Yeah. Right. So we can talk about what is rum, what mm-hmm. is pure rum, and then find some other designation for, we could have put in spiced rum, of course, as a category, which is there now, flavored rum, you know, yeah. expand the category. Because now everything that has 21 grams of sugar per liter is a spirit drink. What is a spirit drink? I have no clue. <laughs> Something that's uh, harder to, to sell and, and find in a liquor store. Yeah. Exactly. But if we are talking about educating the consumer, how is the spirit drink educating anyone? Mm. It's not because nobody knows what it is. So we trying to enlighten them and inform them. Well, let then let's do it in a correct way and actually inform them about what is inside the bottle. And that is my argument. And that's why I think it's silly having the cap at 20. Make it zero so we can talk about rum. And rum is rum. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Rum doesn't have any additives. I'll agree on a little caramel for coloring, for consistency and all of that. Yeah. That's fine, but that's it. And of course, water for dilution. Mm. Uh, but other mm. than that, that's rum. Then we can talk about everything else. But if we want to keep the consumer enlightened and informed, then there needs to be another set of rules on top that specifies how actually to label things. And it, it is actually getting me, it is getting me in, in trouble <laughs> or trouble or problems. I don't know. What, what would be the right word for it? Uh, but I have brands like Companiero, mm-hmm. where it's stated on the bottle how much sugar is in there. Yeah. And because I'm doing that, it has been delisted in a monopoly market now. Mm. Because I am not allowed to inform the consumer about what I put on the bottle. 
unless I put a full declaration about everything there. Right, kind of like a like nutrition facts type with yes. calories exactly. and, and all that stuff on there. Exactly. Yeah. So where I tried actually to be informative and tell people what's yeah. in there, then they basically kicked back, delisted my product and said, you can't do that unless you put the full facts on there. Yep. And I basically went back to them and said, I'd love to, but this is a batch produced product. I can't afford to send that to a full lab analysis and a full analysis every time it's produced. No, I could, but then I'd have to raise the price and that's right. for anybody. Right. But basically they don't care. So in the end, I actually might have to put a smaller sticker on top of where I mention it to have it back on the show oh, or wow. actually change my label to be less informative again. Uh, that's Companiero. On, on another bottle I've done on the bottle called Patridom, mm-hmm. which was the new, the new name for his glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done instead, I've actually written on the back label, it states specifically that it's Caribbean sugarcane spirit because it has too much sugar. Okay. And then it's added with cane sugar for sweetening. So I go about it that way there instead. Yeah, I know distillers here in the U.S. who have run into similar problems. In some cases, it's when they they just want to put something on the label that says there is no sugar added right. um, on right. the label, and they say if you do that, you need the full, you know, yeah. nutrition facts. It takes that and lab analysis, like you were saying, you which need is to tell them what is added. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, do you have? You mentioned Compañero. Uh, do you have certain brands where it's like, okay, with these brands, I will add sugar. With these brands, I will not do it. Or is it a case by case basis? No, it, it is quite specific. And I'd, I'd say, well, we could say I always call the Swedish rum commercial rum. Okay. Uh, because those are, they are the brands that pay my salary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're the brands that pay for my warehouse. They're the brands that pay my office for my employees. They basically, they pay for everything. So that's, those that's, are the rum that's which not SBS. Brands. No, definitely yeah. not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd say I'd say there. Of course, there's a profit calculated into an SBS bottle, but when you then take in the time that we actually spend on talking about it, mm-hmm. bringing it to festivals, doing master classes, all of that, there is no profit left. There is it's it's a brand that's not making money. It's a brand that can't pay for every for anything. Basically, all the other things are paying for that. And I'm very happy for that because I consider myself a rum geek and that yeah. is the rum I drink. So what motivates you then to keep kind of doing that? Yeah, yeah. Series? Is it just your personal kind of... It's personal ambition. And yeah. as well as that, uh, I have two business partners. We own the, we own the company equally. And it, it's the rum we like to drink, basically, that we bought yeah. there. And we love doing that. Yeah. So it's another and way you pay yourself. Mean, it's going to be fun. Well, yeah. We, if if you own a business, you know that it's not a nine to five job. <laughs> Far from it. Yeah. It's more like a it's more like an eight to ten job. Right. Ten in right, the right. evening, eight in the morning, and a lot of weekends, a lot of uh, evenings, a lot of nights. So it's got to be fun working, and that is one of the things that brings in uh, a lot of fun things as well because it piques our enthusiasm for rum. It piques our enthusiasm for taste, flavors experimenting with barrel, experimenting with wood, all of that. So for us, it's, it's very important. Uh, and I also think it, it helps to carry our, our name, basically, that mm. it tells people about 1423. It's like also when I talked to you guys initially, uh, well, 
It's it's just from 1423 and SPS. It's not just from 1423 and Compañero. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it definitely matters. Well, and yeah. I, I feel like from the outside looking in, I view it as a brand that can be important for the category of rum as well. Like it's it's do it's advocating for the category, showing people what kind of the highest level um, of rum can look like. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also the kind of, like it might not be a tiny little business forever. You know, I mean, trends can change. There is more growth and like that part of the rum sector right now. And so, you know, it could be the kind of thing where 10, 15 years from now, it's like, holy shit, that was really smart to spend all that time on, on SBS, you know? Um, Uh, Speaking of SBS a little bit, sorry, Josh, I also want to ask, and you can answer uh, to Will and then I I just was perusing a little bit as we were prepping for the interview and looking at some of the SBS selections, because unfortunately we don't get it here in the United States. And I see all these people enjoying it in, uh, in Europe and other places. And, uh, oh my gosh, first of all, the color on some of those is incredible online. I haven't seen them in person, but man, they look incredible on the website. And, oh, yeah. there's it. Josh just is showing as, us right just now. Just yeah. dark. Which one is that? That is uh, 2001 Skeleton. Ooh, man. Wow. So I guess in talking about SBS, which uh, I, I don't know if we said it, but that's Single Barrel Selection. So Single Barrel Selection, your series that it seems like it's your baby and that that's, that's what you love to do. And there's quite a few selections you've, you've put out over the years. But are you planning to grow that uh, SBS anymore? And, and maybe, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about the brand itself and what's the idea behind it, what separates it from other independent bottlers, maybe, and then finish with, uh, might it be coming to the to a store near us at some point? Well, it is growing, actually. Uh, and Fantastic. we are releasing, releasing more and more tasks every year. And we also just expanded it uh, this year, actually, with the thing we call SBS Origins. Yeah, uh, cool. Yeah. Got a question about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we can we can get back to that. But okay. Question. But um, but I think we did the first bottling of SBS in 2016, and we started out with four four rums, if I remember correctly. And I think we've done very close to 150 now. Wow. I've got like 50 open here, guys. So whenever you want to come and taste them, <laughs> yeah. come here. And- I'm gonna get on a plane I as soon as we I feel. Yeah. I wish we were right down the street. You know, exactly. we, could, we could stop by, sing some Christmas carols at the town square, and then go sample uh, 50 different SBS uh, around. You'd, you'd be very like welcome. That, that's for sure. Well, days of rum Christmas coming to uh, Denmark near you. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think it's even though we did the first SBS in in, in 16, it, it's actually much, much deeper into our DNA. And you got to go back to the very first bottle we bottled, mm. which was very close to actually being a single cask. When, when we started the company back in, in 2008, we were a group of whiskey drinkers, basically. Mm-hmm. It was me, my brother, and one of our childhood friends. Yeah, we won't hold that against you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, I'm joking. <laughs> and and we, used to, we used to meet up with a, with a group of friends, actually. Like every three months, we would meet up in one of the guys' home. Everybody would bring a bottle, and the, the host would make a dinner, and we'd drink whiskey yeah. or other interesting spirits, but primarily mm-hmm. whiskey. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, we, we started going to different whiskey festivals in Denmark. And it was actually at one whiskey festival in Denmark that we got introduced to rum for the first time. Our knowledge of rum before that was, well, of course, we knew Bacardi and Captain yeah. Morgan mm-hmm. uh-huh. and various low-priced supermarket private label brands that yeah. we all bought for cheap money when we were teenagers to get drunk. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but this was this was the first time we got introduced to them, and it um, it happened at the end of the show where where a guy behind a stand from an importer in Denmark basically put up five bottles and said, "I'm going to introduce you to rum. We're going to start here. We're going to end here." So we tried five different ones, and don't ask me which ones they were because it's it was after eight hours at a whiskey festival. The festival environment, right? <laughs> yes, and we had quite a bit before we got to the rum uh-huh. out here. <laughs> But we were blown away, basically. We were really, really blown away. And uh, no more than two weeks later, I got a call from my brother and said, who said that um, I need you to send me 2,000 euros. <laughs> like, okay, what's going on? Well, we're going to make our own rum. <laughs> and then he talked about it at length and described um, that he had been doing a lot of research these past two weeks and uh-huh. find people who could help us. He found a company that's based out in Amsterdam that you probably know. Uh, who might that be? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he'd had a lot of talks with them already. And before the call ended, I'd send him 4,000 euros because my brother was broke. So I had to pay his part as well. Um, <laughs> he doubled it. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a big vote of confidence. Well, I, me and my brother had had different companies in the past as well. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd say with limited success, but it's always but enough to have some some cash left over. Apparently, the, that entrepreneur spirit have always been us in us yeah. since we were born. Actually, I remember in what third grade I've been peddling stuff in the school, all kinds of things. <laughs> and you're the kid with all the candy for sale. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, things like that. Um, so it, it it was pretty straightforward. So he called up the last of our childhood friends. He was in as well. And and that's how it started. So that that first bottling we approved from Chomskier was about two hundred bottles. Mm-hmm. And after that, we did a couple of more similar, like single single cask type that were branded completely different. Um, but that was that was the beginning of our single cask adventure. Then it then it went into distribution, and mm-hmm. we started distributing other brands in Denmark. And then we came, sort of came back to it in, in, in 2016 when we started SBS. So hmm. you, you have SBS. Um, I think one thing we're seeing is, particularly in the United States, like the, the United States, which I'm sure you're aware of, didn't have the whole kind of culture of independently bottled rums. Um, like there weren't equivalent companies really over here. There were a few here and there, but it's really been in the last couple of years, I would say, we're starting to see more that look like kind of a similar business model. And I'm sure there are more all over the world as well. So with, you know, more people kind of in- entering the space, more competition, um, even though, you know, it's different parts of the world and everything. How do you continue to find rums that sort of thread that needle of being something because, ev- you know, everyone always wants to keep put, like finding something new and different and, in, yeah. and interesting, but it also has to be very good, of course, as well. So yeah, yeah. how do you keep finding stuff like that? Um, is it is it searching for lesser known producers? Is it through doing interesting stuff with the aging process? What's kind of the, the SBS philosophy with that? Well, I, I think it's a combination of, of different factors. When we started in 16... We bottled the same as everything as everybody else. Mm-hmm. We basically bottled what we could get offered from brokers yeah. across the world, and we worked with different brokers for different counts. And for many years, that was the same. And then I think just a few—it's not more than a few years ago—that people actually started from the independent bottler side, started having a clearer interest in bottling specific marks. 
and keeping even more focus on that, like the skeleton I showed you before. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I think I was the first to to bottle it in the sense of actually telling people what it was. Mm. I know there were bottlings before me, but the independent bottlers that did it had no idea what was in the bottle. Mm. They didn't know of the significance of that SWR mark. Right, right. That everybody who knows about Valier bottles, of course, know what it is. <laughs> so I bought up every barrel I could get of it and put them out on the market. And of course, that gave me a lot of attention for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But basically, most of the independent bottlers, they all buy from the same source. Yeah. I'm I'm lucky to have some good deals with distilleries across the world. Mm-hmm. There's some distilleries that I found myself, mm-hmm. uh, through connections or family or friends, and other distilleries that I work with because of my brands. So I do have access to, to some things that I, others might not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can find interesting things from there. Uh, that's one. What's an, what's an example of one of those rums where you know you were able to get into it because of you know some some association, some relationship you had that was lesser known and by by other well, other uh, companies. Like there was a distillery in Ghana in Africa right, called yeah. Mil- hmm. uh, which came to us through uh, actually a rum geek here in Denmark who who works at at fourteen twenty three as well. Oh, cool! And it was basically when he grew up with his parents. Then the neighbor of his parents had multiple companies in Denmark and he ended up selling them. But that neighbor grew up in Ghana and wanted to go back to Ghana and give something back. So he bought a cashew nut plantation in Ghana. Oh, wow. And when he traveled down there, he found out that there was a buck still standing in one of the warehouses. Oh, <laughs> that's wow. A, that's a, a cool find. <laughs> yeah. So they, they started doing cashew apple brandy. Oh, wow. So not from the nut, but from the apple on, on top of the nut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he contacted the Gregor's, uh, my guy, and said, well, I'd like some help with bottling this. Could you recommend somebody? Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's, he, sent them, he sent them my way. And we started the project with them. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys came from there. Oh, by the way, we distilled a rum. Like what? Oh, by the way, uh, I I don't think you'll be interested in this. But that's a lot more interesting than 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 that brandy. The brandy, brandy. but but that was a lot more interesting, of course. Uh, So we bought up everything they had produced at that time and uh, started aging some here and released a little bit of it in different bottlings. So that that's a good example of it, um, and that's that's a cane juice rum, right? That's cane juice, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Other examples are well, I I worked quite a lot in Jamaica because mm-hmm. we worked with Worthy Park now since I think two thousand fifteen. Yeah, uh, you, you did Park. some like you did some finishes for Worthy Park, right? Yeah, the special cask series was mm-hmm. a project we started in Denmark, uh, mm-hmm. basically, and the thing we had we had the casks. They had the rum, and so mm-hmm. it was you and easy. And we, the project has moved to Jamaica and now, so they're doing everything at home, and yeah. that was always the plan. Mm-hmm. We just had the opportunity of starting up the project earlier. But because of what we've been working on with Jamaica for many years, we've also been lucky to get some special things out of Jamaica. Uh, we've been lucky to get, whenever Wesley Park has developed you know, new rum and new marks, that a lot of them have come to me first. Oh, um, nice. A lot of the time, just to ask what we think about it, I think. Uh-huh. And they always get the answer. <laughs> just send 10,000 liters, please. I was going to say, <laughs> the, the, the notes are probably mostly very positive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that, that has benefited us, for sure. 
And yeah. then I think what we've been doing in the past um, in the past few years is a lot of work with wood and finishes and double maturation. Mm-hmm. It started it started just before we started with the Worthy Park project where we had done a, a VPO a WPO with Park Light. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a four-year-old from, from Bourbon that we then moved to a fairy class, basically, yeah. just to see what happened. And we've expanded a lot on that uh, going forward. So today we season a lot of our own casks in our warehouse. So we will actually put port wine, Madeira, or sherry wine into the cask ourselves, okay. leave it for one year, two years, three years before mm-hmm. we use it for rum. Mm-hmm. And then we started, which I think has been a game changer for us. We started with virgin oak cask three years ago. Ah. And there's something about that American white oak in a virgin oak cask that has never been used before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you put a high congener, high ester, something, a very flavorful rum into that, mm-hmm. it's like both the, it's like the wood and the rum uh, just falling in love immediately. And it just... You, you... You did a DOK mm. in Virgin Oak, right? Okay, I just remembered I, I had a sample of that. I totally forgot it was an SBS, but when I, I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, like they thought to put DOK in Virgin Oak and it's yeah. a company in Europe. I was surprised just because one thing we see a lot in the US with rum distilleries over here, a lot of them will will use Virgin Oak in aging because it's it's also... Uh, a good way to get whiskey drinkers over because it's right. you know, exactly. same same type of aging as bourbon. It's you know a lot of the you know kind of vanilla oak characteristics in there, but you don't see it as much in other places. So I saw that DOK in Virgin Oak, and it was like two years aging, I think something like that. And yeah. I was like, what the heck? What is this going to be like? And I tasted it, and I thought it was amazing. Uh, like you had the DOK, which you said the high high congener rum, it was enough to stand up to, because, exactly. you know, virgin, virgin oak, oak is mm. is, if, uh, is a sledgehammer, if, you know? Yeah. If I have if I have a good summer, and I have a cask aging during the summer, then mm-hmm. give it six months, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it tastes wow. outstanding. I had a great example from a couple of months ago where I had uh, some shop owners uh, from a different country. I'm not going to mention names so nobody knows who they are. <laughs> <laughs> they had which they they are rum geeks as well. Uh-huh. And, um, I gave them a glass of something blight that I wanted them to try, and it was a it was a Port Morand that had been in a virginal cask for less oh, than two years. Interesting. And they guessed Guyana, both of them. Mm. Uh, one of them were in on the Port Morand as well. Okay. And and then then we came on to to age and price, and the first one started off with. Well, this is this is minimum fifteen years, wow. minimum, <laughs> and and the other one got a little closer and said, "No, it's twelve to 15. <laughs> and, and I was like, "Okay, this is this is like twenty months old." <laughs> and, what were the reactions? When and you, you could them? put this on the shelf for at cast strength, probably for sixty years, and wow. they were they were blown away, wow. uh, basically. And I I think that is very interesting because. We all know it from the, both from whiskey and bourbon, also from the rum industry, that there has always been a focus on the number on the bottle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even with pure rum, not just speaking about the big numbers from Solirpar. But there's always been a focus on the number of the bottle where people connect a high number with quality. Mm-hmm. And I love that thing where you can actually show people that you can get a, a rum that's six months old. And you get the feeling of something that's been aged more than 10 years. Yeah. You get that feeling when you taste it. 
And just to show people that quality has nothing to do with age and right. that age in the case of, of, of a spirit is it, it's just a number. And if you start with a good quality liquid and have a good quality of wood, then you can create wonders in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it's, it's amazing. And we keep it, we have a lot of experiments going on like that right now. And it's so fun to, when we do a session at the warehouse, we can't do it every day because then we yeah. do nothing else. Yeah. But, you know, take out some samples and actually try some of those experiments we're doing and see where they're going. Where's this mm. going to end? It's a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Well, so I, I'll make a hard transition here to talk from talking about aging to unaged. <laughs> yep. So the SBS Origin Series, which I think Will mentioned a little bit earlier, that was uh, four, I believe, unaged rums that you recently put out. There was a yep. Teca from Long Pond, TECA, an Aroma Grande from Dominican Republic, a French Antilles Grande Arome, and a Port Morant. Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about that series and how that came up and, and what you're doing with it? Yeah, of course. As I think I mentioned all the way back in the beginning, I like to drink white rum myself and um, showed us several people at my at my office. So it's actually an idea that started before before COVID as well, mm-hmm. that we wanted to do a series of, of white rum, of unaged rum, that the rums that were already in our warehouse, rums that, that we buy uh, straight for aging, basically. Mm-hmm. So the idea was just to take some of our own favorite rums and some of these high congener, high ester rums that we work with and try to bring it out both so the connoisseurs and the rum geeks can try them mm-hmm. as they were, basically. Mm-hmm. And also for use, of course, in, in, in home cocktails or high-end cocktail bars. Yeah. And so we brought out the first four a couple of months ago. I just bottled the two more that will be released in the beginning of the new year. And I have like 10, 15 more that I want to bottle. <laughs> There's um, a lot of so good unaged rums out there. Yeah. Bring, bring, bring them out slowly, and I hope the, the full range will end somewhere about 15 different rums. That's, that's the plan in my head, anyway. You can do um, your own separate 15 days of unaged rum box yeah. for there those, right? Exactly. <laughs> for the true, the, true, uh, the true geeks, the true sickos <laughs> out there. Definitely. Definitely. I have a question about that. So I looked at those on um, the bottles are super dark. They're taller than your other SBS bottles, but they're yep. dark. And for a an unaged rum, which is, you know, a clear liquid, I thought that was an interesting choice and was going to ask you about the intentionality behind that. Well, that that was actually um, intentional because when you have a, when you have an aged rum, you want a clear bottle because you want to be able to see that. Mm. Right. <laughs> when you have an unaged, unaged rum, it doesn't matter. You have no need to see the liquid. So that was the basic idea about it. And my idea to begin with was that we wanted a label that was very, very colorful, very, very bright. Mm-hmm. They're, they're cool labels, by the way. Yeah, they are cool. yeah. on, on the black bottle. But the reason it became that black bottle is pure coincidence because we all know what's happening in the world right now. You yeah. have to get the glass, right? are not easy to get. Yeah. Right. That was not the bottle the label was intended for. That was the bottle I could get. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, a nice shape, though. They, they look, it, I, it, it, I think it, it, turned it, out, it turned out pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Um, next production, I'm due, I, I could only produce about 1,000 of each. Okay. Uh, I had a lot more labels, and I wanted to produce more, but I didn't have more bottles. You got to get your parents on the label-making thing again. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so I, I've just re-bottled all four again when I bottled the next two. 
And again, it's it's a new bottle now, but it's not the actual bottle I wanted either. No. <laughs> it, it, it is gonna be it is gonna be a dark black bottle again, but it will be different from the first one and not the actual bottle I wanted. Yeah, sourcing my purchasing team is going crazy because <laughs> if all the prices they are looking for are going up. Yeah. All the yeah. orders that they pre-placed, they are actually not getting, even mm. though they were confirmed years ago or yeah. six months or a year ago. And we can't get the get the things we need to actually produce all the time. And so sometimes you just gotta say, Oh well, yeah, shit, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we gotta get whatever, the rum out get, there, right? Get me whatever I can because we need to get some rum out there. <laughs> yeah. I I wanted to ask, you know, two of the releases John just named share that descriptor Grand Rome, uh though in two different languages. And yep. that, that that term has come up in a, a few different episodes in the past. And I know historically, like there's always been a little confusion to me about what qualifies as a Grand Rome rum, like what that term means. It's used a lot of different ways. So I wanted to ask, like, how did you decide on that descriptor for each rum? Is that something that the producers that you got them from use to describe it? Um, and like, what kind of makes those rums gra- yeah. Grand Aromes? What does that mean? Well, for, for the Grand Arom, it comes from a Martinique distillery mm-hmm. they call Le Galion, which produces from molasses. Right. And the yeah. Grand Arom for them is a specific style of rum. And if I remember correctly, it actually has its own AOC designation as well. I think that's right. On what on what specifies it completely. With just to bring it down in easy terms, I guess you could basically call it the French equivalent of saying "Hi, Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, when it comes to the Dominican, where they basically just translated that into Spanish and now calls it Aroma Grande. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it, it it is. I've it heard is, of her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is quite interesting because um, it comes from a distillery called AFD or Alcoholes Finos Dominicanos, right. which is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the well, one of the largest distilleries in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and they produce for several brands across the world. And they have a multi-column, and they don't make high estuarine; they mm-hmm. make very, very, very low estuarine, right? Uh, similar to things like Bacardi, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, so what we did is we. We've worked with them for, for quite a few years, and and we have a good relationship with them. So mm-hmm. my business partner and and me, we sent them some, we sent them some samples uh-huh. of different uh, Jamaican rums, and also <laughs> the, the one from Legalium. Yeah, and said, "Could you try and do something like this?" <laughs> <laughs> what was the reaction to that? Um, he, the master distiller over there, tried them, and he was like, first off. Why would you drink this? <laughs> <laughs> this is not rum. What is this? And we were like, okay, well, let's try and explain him a little bit about the European, the European market and the European rum geeks and what's yeah, happening. Yeah, over. yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. So basically, this was his first attempt at creating a highest rum. Wow. And it, it comes in just under 500. I think we measured this as at 490. Okay. Uh, which is which is quite interesting from coming from a multi column. Yeah. And it, it, it is it is a weird it is a weird rum. And mm-hmm. I think most most people who try it, it is like either you like it or you, you really don't like it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, because the nose is quite different from the actual rum. Hmm. Where the nose is quite medicinal and industrial, like notes of acetone and things like that, then the rum is very fruity. And it's like the two things they don't match at all. They're completely opposite. So it it is it is quite 
quite fun, quite fun to taste, but it works extraordinarily well in cocktails. We'll throw it in a new virgin oak real quick and see what happens. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Already waiting in the warehouse. <laughs> so earlier uh, in, in passing, you mentioned uh, Ron Esclavo. I, I wanted to talk about, you know, there, there have been several rum brands in recent years that have gotten a lot of criticism for names or branding that's seen as insensitive or um, exploitative you know, towards rum's history. And Ron Esclavo was one of those. And you've talked about this before, but you know, there's been, I think, some distance from it now. I think where, where that got a lot of attention was probably a couple of years ago. So I wanted yep. to ask, you know, with distance between it, you know, what, what were you able to kind of take away from that experience in terms of how to talk about reckon with rum's history because i think to me this is one of like the really important things for the category right now is figuring out how to do that um so i wanted to ask you know how has that changed not only how you market uh, and brand the rum but but how you talk about it well i i still get asked about it quite a lot also mm-hmm. because you can still find isclavo out on the market i also still sell the brand because i still have some bottles left Mm-hmm. from large productions in the past. They're almost gone They're from my warehouse now. So I think there's still one SKU in the brand that we're still selling under the old name, but that's about it. But they, they still talk about it, and I still get asked about it quite a lot. Mostly from mostly it's from my importers, distributors, shop owners, bar owners, that kind of thing, because some of them can have some confusion with the new name, and the bottle looks mm-hmm. exactly the same, but it's just the name that changed. And most of them don't even know what Esclavo means. Mm-hmm. They have no idea. Right. Uh, so I, I, I often have to give them the story and explain it to them and, and talk about why we changed it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to remember, to remember where, we, where we came from when we actually made the name. That we made the name in, in Denmark for a brand that was supposed to be sold in Denmark. The culture here is, is highly different, I'd say. And more, a lot more free spoken. And I don't think if you told Danish people about this 10 years ago when we released it, nobody would have cared. They would say, oh, then it's a good thing if they want to talk about it. Mm. And we, we made up the name because we like to talk about Rums history. And I think education is very, very important about history to understand the past, to go into the future. And that's also why we chose the new name Patridam, which is a compound word of Patrimonio Dominicano which is basically Dominican heritage. So we can still mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. the history because there is nobody out there talking about rum's history. So if you go out and speak to an average rum drinker on the street, oh, rum is from Cuba. Yeah. Mm. If rum that, makes us, that makes us above average, Will. We are above average. That's, that, <laughs> Yay. That, that is what they know. They, they don't know about the history of rum. Yeah. And That's true, yeah. And how it came about. And I think that is important. It is important to teach people going forward about yeah. all the shit that basically happened in Rum's history. Because it's not a good history. Um, and that's why we didn't. Uh, so it wasn't to, to make anybody feel bad, feel, uh, feel ashamed about anything. And I, well, I was, we were all sorry. Because shit, we didn't want to hurt anybody. We didn't want to... Stir yeah, yeah. bad feelings. We were trying mm-hmm. to do good, basically. We're trying to teach people about something horrible so they understood better where things are coming from. Um, and it, it might not have been the right idea when we started exporting outside of Denmark. Um, 
And I think that was the big change because when we did it in Denmark, it was easy for one of us ourselves that made the name mm-hmm. actually sitting there talking about it and explaining why we did it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it started coming outside of Denmark's borders, we were not always there to tell the story anymore. And I think that that created um, that that created problems for sure. Right. And we had actually discussions before it came up in media and before it was mentioned on any Facebook groups. We had actually started discussing it two years before Mm. about changing the name for the future because Mm -hmm. we also had started talking about entering the U.S. market. And we were, well, we were quite quite sure that that name is not going to go in the U.S. no matter what because that we can't explain on that market as well as we could in the European culture. Uh, so there was a culture thing for sure as well. Well, and I, you know, I think I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I think this is one of the most important things with rum. And I think one of the most important things is, is rum being able to talk about its history. And, and when I say yeah. rum being able to, it's, it's, you know, leading brands within rum being able to talk about this because you don't yeah. hear about it a lot from them. And I think, um, I think when we have things, you know, like bad naming choices, bad, marketing choices to me it's a symptom of kind of a larger issue in the rum mm-hmm. industry which is well like first i'll say it's it's great when you when you look at caribbean rum in particular um it's awesome how you can see you know a really sizable number of black distillers blackhead distillers black master blenders black <laughs> leadership at a lot of these distilleries um but I think that the issue and why you don't see more honest, frank discussion of, of Ron's history is you still don't see very much black ownership, especially at like the largest oh. levels. And that's not unique to rum. You know, that's something you see across the whole spirits industry and other industries as well. But I think it's more um, acutely felt in rum given how the industry was birthed, you know, and given from, the history, definitely yeah, from the African slave trade. And I, I'd love to see, you know, at the highest levels of the rum industry, kind of be more proactive about that disparity because, uh, you know, a, it's the right thing to do, but B, I think something we're seeing is that when more black owned rum brands enter the picture, we're seeing some really great things happening and how those brands definitely. are able to talk about that history. Like, um, Equiano from Ian Burrell comes to mind, which we had Ian on the podcast to talk about that. Um, 10 to 1 from Mark uh, Farrell comes to mind as well, which that brand isn't directly as tied to, you know, the slave trade history, but um, it's, it's showcasing this this really great Caribbean story, Caribbean history, and, and kind of putting out there the talent and ingenuity and craftsmanship of the, the Caribbean. And 10 to 1, actually, they just got... Uh, I think a few months ago, they got an investment from Pronghorn, which is a, a fund that was basically created to, you know, invest in black entrepreneurs and founders in the spirits Wonderful. industry. Yeah. And like, I think it'd be great to see some of the big spirits conglomerates that, you know, own some of these Caribbean rum distilleries kind of get involved with things like that. Because I think the more we have stuff like that, the more that that history can can be discussed and, and brought to the forefront in productive ways, um, you know, that, that I, also does great things for the industry overall. So um, I agree there, there, there is some work definitely, especially, especially from some of the big distilleries that yeah. have been around for hundreds of years that have been around before the slave trade was abolished because mm-hmm. all of those have history 
And of course, they are written documents. And of yeah. course, they have some of that in writing themselves. Mm-hmm. It would be great to see some of them come forward and actually talk about it as well. Right. And I think it could make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just if we look on social media these days, there's a lot of bashing of plantation, for instance. Mm-hmm. And why is the name not changing? And well, I went through it and I agree. It is a name that, uh, that for some people definitely it brings up bad memories. Yeah. Uh, but if you, I mean, I grew, I grew up in the, the on, Southern United the, States yeah. uh, and, you know, plantation plantation here has, you know, a very, yeah. very, like the connotation is very tied to, yeah. to slavery. But it depends on where you come from. Sure. Because in, in Denmark, as an example, mm-hmm. there, we have lots of plantations. Mm-hmm. We have apple plantations or the local plant school can be called a plantation and nobody will, would would recognize that together with slaves unless they know specifically about slaves' history. Mm-hmm. So it is different from country to country. But I do agree that when there is a large group of people who feel hurt by seeing the name, then it should change. And that yeah. all goes for plantation. But I think some of the people who are bashing them very hard should take a hard look at some of the other big brands out there in the world mm. because they will see a lot of them have labels that states produced at plantation this. Mm. Um, I saw it uh, as recently as earlier today, actually, before the interview, mm-hmm. because I wanted to check it on a bottle. Yeah. Um, and and there are brands that are bigger than than plantation that mm-hmm. have that written on their bottle still. I'm not good. I won't mention names because I don't want to go into that. Thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mean, I'll leave I, yeah, that I think to, the. To figure it out themselves. They're quite easy to find. Um, but but the world has changed within the yeah. la- last few years. And we all got to look into ourselves and look into our past actions and what have we done and how can we make uh, make the world better, basically. Uh, but we can't, we can't hide everything. I think it's important that we educate and not hide everything. Because if we hide everything, we're not going to make it easier for our kids, basically. Uh, they're not going to know. We need to yeah. teach everybody instead. Totally. And yeah, I think that's what this is all about is, 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 um, finding the right way to go about that for rum, I think is, is really important. But, um, yeah, I, I wanted to talk as well before we wrap up. I know 1423 also does business in other spirits categories, uh, whiskey, tequila, gin. Is, uh, is there anything you've, see done well in those categories that you've tried to apply to the rum side of the business? Or is there anything you've run, uh, learned from rum that you then take and, and maybe do a little differently uh, with, with uh, what you're doing in other categories? Well, I'd say rum is 95% of our business. We are okay. a rum company. That's yeah. it. We do do other spirits, but that's primarily on request from clients share our distribution companies where we do need a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do need to have a couple of gins. We do need to have whiskey. We do need to have these things available. Uh, but we are a rum company, and that mm-hmm. is where all of our focus lay, basically. But of course, we you do draw. You do draw some inspiration from other things, like the sherry cast we started with initially. Yeah. Well, of course, that inspiration came from the whiskey industry. They've been doing it mm-hmm. for years. Yeah. Uh, so that that came from there, and some of my own favorite whiskeys in the past have been from Jerry Casks as well. Yeah, so that was pretty easy. Um, so we do draw inspiration from there, but 
I'd say a lot of the inspiration we get is is not necessarily coming from another spirit category. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is simply by making as many experiments as possible. Mm-hmm. Trying out a lot of different things to see what works. And we've also had to discard balance in the past. Mm. Not every experiment is successful, right? No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. I had I had a ten year old worthy park I had to send to a small Danish distillery and redistill because oh, no. the barrel wow. we had experimented with it had turned I don't know what happened to it, but it was really, really bad. <laughs> That's so interesting. Is there like and, a sunk cost fallacy? You're like, well, it's gotten, you know, ten years in the barrel. Just one more year, let's see what happens. <laughs> well, I'm I'd say this much. I'm actually um I'm sorry that I did redistill it because it had a sister cask that was the same kind of cask that I put a 10-year-old Foursquare in. And that was equally disgusting when we tried it. (laughs) Uh, But we left it and it's now been laying there for three years. And we tried it again uh, just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And it's actually turned again. It's starting to become really, really good. It's not a classic Foursquare. (laughs) <laughs> Something definitely happened to it, you know that. But it's it's very, very drinkable. And I remember I tried it with one of my importers, one of my clients who hadn't heard the story about this cast before. So when he came to see me, he was very eager to try that specific cast. Uh-huh. And I hadn't tried it in years, and we both tried it, and I was like, well, this is actually pretty good. And he was like, it is. I want it. I'll buy it. Three and all. Oh, there you go. Like, no, no. Now I'm not gonna. I'm this not gonna. Now, this now I want to keep it and see what happens <laughs> great. in a year or two more. Yeah, it just had its uh, awkward adolescent phase, is all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was going through its teenage years. Or yeah, something. the hormones were raging. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it it it's fun. What can happen sometimes. So so yeah, we'll we'll keep experimenting, and we have uh, we have plenty of ideas as well for the for the future on on what we're gonna do. So yeah, there will be yeah. more interesting interesting things coming in the future for sure Ooh, i, I like Intense. the sound of that wink, wink. yeah ah, and maybe oh. interesting things spreading out into different areas also well maybe. <laughs> we well we ha- we talked a little bit about it that before covid we were actually looking into um into expanding into the u.s market and start mm-hmm. getting some of our bottles um, and yeah. bottles over there and then covid was like when it nah. came like yeah. no we, we're gonna <laughs> Let's look to home first, make sure that everything is going to be well here. Yeah. Let's not start new uh, new things up right now. But uh, COVID is gone. And even though the world has just received well, a ton of other problems, <laughs> then just it's now become, okay, this is just the new normal, that it yeah. is going to be a yeah. weird world we live in. So, uh, so yeah, I've, uh, we've been looking at it for the past uh, three, four months now. Uh, looking back into the U.S. market, we still have all of our notes from before, and are now actively started the work with looking into warehouse possibilities, import possibilities, Ooh. all of that. And so, yeah, hope, hopefully, hopefully sooner than later, we can actually start shipping some bonds. If I can recommend two wonderful states in our union over I here, agree. I would say you should start with Tennessee and Florida. Yeah. Um, I don't have any Robust there's no self-interest in that, um, but I, I just think those would be great states for SBS. Yeah. Well, it's, 
John and Will, just for you, I promise you I'm going to put those two spades on the top of my list. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Florida first, though. Florida first. <laughs> of course. Of course. I did. I, one thing. We're going to go to rapid fire soon. There were a couple of just random questions I had for you, one of which was, there may be no connection to this at all, but I was looking through the 1423 website and I saw that you have an Indian single malt whiskey on there yep. that is produced at a place called Piccadilly Distillery, which stood out to me because I randomly came across uh, a new rum brand a few months ago that was an Indian rum brand that said it came from Piccadilly Distillery. And yep. the, I think it was a cane juice rum and the rum was like 12 years old or it, like it had some age on it and it was the first thing they released. And I was like, it said something on the bottle about like 95% angel share. I was just like, what, what is going on with this? And it was from Piccadilly Distillery. And so when I saw that on your website, uh, the, the, that rum brand is called Kamikara, by the way. And yeah. I was like, I, I've got to see if Josh knows anything about this. So do you know anything about this mystery Indian rum? Well, I'm 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 half Indian, and the first thing I'd say about the 95% angel share is uh, knowing Indians very well. Don't trust Indians. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe embellished. Uh, well, it 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 sounds it sounds quite high, but no, Piccadilly uh, Piccadilly Distillery does have rum in their warehouse. They have okay. still rum for years, and column this look nothing nothing interesting. Okay, uh, the the owners of Comet. Uh, that I distribute here in Europe. They own the brand, Camet. They don't own the Piccadilly Distillery. Right. That's but, the, that's what I picked up on from looking at mm-hmm, the label. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they uh, own a couple of distilleries of their own. Ah, and really? they just installed pot stills. No way. And build a rum distillery. That's amazing. Mm. What's, yeah. do, you know, I, do you have the name of this distillery? Can you share that? No name yet. Okay. Uh, no, they have. They are experimenting on the first on their first productions right now, basically. That's so awesome. they still don't have a profile, cool. nothing. But I'm I'm happy to say I think I inspired them quite a bit because it was after all my talks with them and, and they heard all of my me speaking about rum, 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 rum all the you, time. You deserve to take In the credit. In the end, you yeah. were like, okay, <laughs> Josh, we're building a rum distillery. Oh, good. So yeah, I I, I gave them some pointers and said. If you push something like that, then don't worry, I'm going to buy all of them. So <laughs> get started. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I hope that in the near future we can actually bring out some good Indian rum. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. with the history of, of sugarcane there, um, I feel it, it, it just makes sense. So um, it, it, it does, and there are plenty of distilleries out there, and there's a huge sugar industry there. Uh, the big problem is that well, in, India is one of the largest consumers of rum in the world, but what they consume locally right. is is basically almost unaged rum that has been colored and flavored. Yeah, I have Indian rum in my warehouse as well that I bought from a distillery years ago, mm-hmm. and I remember when I asked them for samples that all the samples they sent were flavored and colored. Oh, wow. And mm. I was like, I want unaged rum. People <laughs> they sent a new sample that was still dark. I was like... <laughs> Okay, I need to explain this even better. I want it straight off the still. Yeah. You can't put anything in it. I want it straight from there. Ah, okay. Yeah. And they sent me a new sample, and it's everything is pure column, very, very light rum with very mm-hmm. little flavor. Um, but it, I have some in casks, and it, it is developing nicely, but it's it's nothing special. Yeah. And I've tried many rums from out there, and it's, it's all the same. Mm. Uh, so I hope it can become different. I know Valier just bottled um, 
a single cask from Amrut of rum as well that has uh-huh. been given a lot of praise. Unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to taste it myself. Same. But um, but I do think we're going to see this more and more. Rum mm. from New Origins. Yeah. We started with the rum from Ghana. Mm. There's a lot of interesting things happening in, in Asia. Yeah. Uh, countries like Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam. There's yep. a lot of interesting things happening in Australia as well. Oh, yes. I have a bunch of samples standing on my desk at the office. Uh-huh. They are doing some outstanding stuff out there yeah, as yeah. well. So, we have, well, we are in, this is the new golden age of rum, basically. Well, I think that's uh, as, as good a note as any to wrap up on. But before we do that, we do have one final segment on the show. My co-host, John Gulla, he's, he's over here. He's, he's running a fever. He's, he's battling <laughs> through uh, sickness right now, which is thankfully not COVID. But John is still just like a champ going through all this. And now he's got a set of questions for you to answer as quickly as possible. We put 60 seconds on the clock. John spends weeks coming up with these. Weeks uh, the, experimenting, just yeah. like you, Josh. Yep. <laughs> like you've got the, the warehouse of casks. He's got, exactly. a, whole, he's got a whole hard drive there are full so of many documents. rapid fire yes. questions. So if you're ready for that, we will, uh, we'll move over to that now. Ready That's whenever right. you are, John. All right. I've got a fever, and the only cure is more rapid fire. <laughs> more rapid fire. <laughs> so we're going to do this. All right. 60 seconds. Will's going to put this on the clock, and we're going to go through these. All right. I've got 60 seconds and go. All right. Neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot, or blend? Pot. Okay. Molasses or cane juice? Both. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Aged or unaged? I think I know this one. Unaged. Yep. Ooh. Your favorite SBS bottling to date? Oh. That's tough. Hampton 2000 or. Guyana 2001. All right. Here in the U.S., when we were growing up, they taught us the rhyme, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue to help us recall the year of the arrival of Columbus in the New World, which, by the way, I don't think that's in vogue anymore. But um, I have a marketing idea for you, free of charge from the Rumcast, to help people remember 1423. So I just want you to say, yes, you like this one, or no, you don't like it. All right? Here Here are the best ones, and I'll say best. At 1423, Joshua Singh selects rums for you and me. I like it. Okay. All right. 1423, where all the best rums are free. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that one wasn't good, but it just rolled off the tongue. All right. How about this one? 1423, the only place in Denmark you can still get Karani. <laughs> it was true until two weeks ago. I just bought oh, my last Oh, no. <laughs> well, we can't use that one then. All right. And this one, 1423, the place to find rums of the highest quality. I like that one. There we go. I think that you can use that free of charge. Like I said, no problem. Uh, Your favorite rum bar in the world? Uh, Baja. Where's that located? That is right here in my city. It's a friend of mine who opened it six months before I opened 1423. All right. Is it true that the two best rums in your advent calendar each year are behind door number 14 and door number 23? (laughs) I like that. It's a good conspiracy. (laughs) Look, I tried. I mean, you know, I thought. All right. When I think of the SBS series... I can't help but be reminded of SOS also. Is there a rum out there that is so bad in your mind it should only ever be drank as a last resort in an SOS situation? Oh, yeah. There are <laughs> more than one. I bottled one of them. Ooh. It, it was an SBS bottle, so some people out there might know what it is. We called <laughs> right. it the Beast. The Beast. I think I saw that one. All right. And finally, what team will be in the World Cup final playing against Denmark? 
Please say I'm, USA. Please say USA. Denmark won't be in the final. The final. Oh, wow. You're going to oh, catch final, crap for that final, one. All right. Brazil against Argentina. Brazil against Argentina. Okay. That's oh, time. It's the, it's the usual suspects. <laughs> we'll wrap up with that. Um, I, I think, jo- Josh, you may have discovered the, the dirty secret of the Rumcast, by the way, which is that uh, the, the 60-second timer is... is <laughs> It's a highly loose 60 seconds. Yeah, yeah, but I like that. I like that. Makes it, it always makes it better. And, and John, for, for the future, well, when you do your rhymes, 1423 should, well, it actually is 14,423. That was the original name. Oh, so there, wow. There's a four missing um, because that was, the, that was the sample number of the rum we approved for our very first partner. No way. Oh, but we the went forgotten to 20 four. samples to select. Uh-huh. And when you drink twenty rums, you get drunk. <laughs> it just so, left a digit off. <laughs> exactly. In our notes, it says fourteen thousand four hundred and sixteen, fourteen thousand four hundred and seventeen, and so on. <laughs> and it states if it's good, bad, or whatever it yeah. needs. Yeah. But at one point for this one, a four is missing, and it only states fourteen twenty three, and that's where the name comes from. There we go. I well, like I think that, that story. was a that was a happy accident because fourteen twenty three kind of you know it's it's it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it, it sounds the nice. brand was fourteen thousand four hundred twenty three. It's kind of a mouthful. So. It is. It sounds <laughs> a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Josh. Jo- Josh Joshua, by the way, I, I can wait until the end of the episode to ask you what you prefer. I just got informal and called you Josh. That's my bad. Yeah. Well, don't worry about it. I am. I answered to both of them. So okay, no problem. Well, Josh, uh, before we go, anything, anything else to share with the people out there? I know obviously you've got a bunch of experiments in the works. Um, anything for people to keep their eyes out for? Well, I'd say definitely keep their eyes out for more SBS Origins. Yeah. Uh, some of my own favorite rums are going to be coming out next year. In that, 40 more unaged rums next year. A lot more. <laughs> a lot more for sure. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, I'll urge everybody to try and have a sit of some of those stocks that we've been aging in original and try some of that rum that's only been aged for 6 to 24 months and yeah. get a new experience because I think it's extraordinary. Yeah, so after, after trying I hope, the DOK, I, I definitely want to try the others. So yeah, go for it. All right, well, Sweet. thanks thanks again for taking the time to, to hang out with us on this Saturday. And uh, enjoy your, your festive night. Um, I, 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 I'm guessing you have all the bottling wrapped up for the calendars by this point. So hopefully oh, you can uh, yeah, rest yeah, easy that tonight. Bottling was done in July. There and, you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one time and, and no more hand bottling. No, <laughs> Very okay, good. that's good. All right. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. Hey, if you did any fun rum stuff over Thanksgiving or have any fun rum stuff planned for the holiday season, any non-traditional rum traditions that you like to do, would love to hear about those. Uh, leave us a comment on social media or email us at host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. Uh, and also, if you want to, if we want to gather around with John and myself and uh, some other fellow rumcasters and swap rum stories as we head into the holiday season, we have our uh, monthly happy hour for Rumcast patrons coming up on November 30th. So if you go to Patreon.com/slash/TheRumcast, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/TheRumcast, and sign up there. 
you can join us. Uh, it's always a blast to do that. So I would love to see some more of y'all there. But John, in, in the meantime, if people want to get in touch with us on social media, where can they find us? Yeah. So we've, I don't want to say banned Twitter. We're, we, we've faded Twitter a little bit <laughs> We're recently. Fading it. We're fading Twitter a little bit okay. recently. But we do, we are well on Instagram at the Rumcast and also Facebook at the Rumcast. You can find us there. You can uh, DM, you can comment on things there. We'd love to see and hear uh, what you all think about things there and love all of the comments we get there. And I love, Will, what you said about uh, telling our rum stories. I'm excited for that. Sounds to me like the middle scene in Jaws when they start comparing scars. Like, that's right. I, I think that's exactly what I'm looking forward to is people I mean, just sharing their rum stories and... I think uh, our rum stories are a little, you know, more fun and happy than, uh, than, than you know, Scar's That was the happiest scene in the movie. Okay, the, the happiest, happiest scene in Jaws yeah. is a pretty, yeah. like, low, low bar for happiness, you know? <laughs> okay, fine. Maybe that's true. And we're also not going to have a huge shark interrupt our session before everybody's done telling their story. But if you want to get together with us, I really do think it's, it's... We've had a fun time the last few goes, and everybody's cool, and we appreciate talking to everybody. So join us for that for sure. And if not... Hit us up on that social media at the Rumcast, and uh, we just want to say thank you so much to all of you who continue to listen and join us on our rum journey here. And uh, we appreciate so much your support and that you chose to spend your time with us listening. And Will, I don't know if you have anything else to leave with before we get out of here, but uh, I just wanted to say thanks. Oh yeah, thank you to everyone out there listening. Uh, that's why we continue to do the show. That's what makes it fun is is sharing in rum with other people. So always great to hear from y'all. And yeah, we really do appreciate the support. We've got a lot to be thankful for here on the Rumcast, John. So with all that said, I will talk to you next time. Fantastic. (laughs) 